Thank you, Mike, and good morning, church. Great to see you on this Lord's Day. Can you hear me? Very good. I can't hear myself. That might be okay. But good to see you this morning. What a blessing it is for us to gather together as the church, as the body of Christ. It is Sunday, March 13th of 2022, and God is on his throne today, and all of God's people said, amen, and he is among us. There are so many reasons really why we chose in the midst of a snowstorm also just to delay our services and not have two on Sunday morning, nine and 11, but to have one at 10. You know, two years ago this weekend, we had to close church down for the start of what we never would have anticipated would have been a two-year process for us and more. I think it's just really, really good two years later on that Sunday for us to be together in the Lord's house. And let's give our praise to him for bringing us together. So, yeah, a snowstorm two years ago today, um, time change, you lost an hour. So we thought that might help you just a little bit so that you won't fall asleep during what will be now, I'm just telling you, a two-hour service. You ready for this? So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're awake. And uh, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, we'll be turning to it in just a moment. And I said a two-hour service because the passage in its entirety is 50 verses today. So if I spend two minutes... On each verse, which is my goal, Genesis 27. Let me pray once again. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. Thank you that you do speak to us. And we hear from you exactly what we need to hear. So I invite you now to stand in my body and to think with my mind and speak through my mouth all the things that you would have us hear and say and do. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. All of us have a fundamental need to be blessed. Such a blessing is not synonymous with being successful. If by being successful, we simply mean how much money you make or the kind of car or truck you drive. To be blessed is more than just having someone express warm wishes to you. It is to have a benediction pronounced over you. That inherent in its power is the promise of unconditional love in a place where you can always belong. That's a blessing. And to be blessed is, is like having a will or a testament spoken over you by a parent or mentor whose carefully chosen words both affirm and, in, and empower you to be all that you should be. Words of blessing shape us. Words of blessing have the power to either remake you or, or give you the power to be somebody. It is self-evident that no one can bless themselves. 
It is a gift that you receive from someone else. Over the years, when Lisa and I prepare a card for our children, for Jonathan and Janelle, on their birthdays, we take that matter very seriously. We don't like to use a hallmark card that uses the sentiment of somebody else. We want to convey our own words of blessing and affirmation for their lives both now and in the future. And our blessing is not just a wish for their health and their happiness. We want to be able to communicate our love to them and affirm with joy the man and woman we see them becoming. But our blessing also conveys a prayer that they would have the ability to perceive the beauty of God in the chaos of life. To see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Every one of us wants to share in that kind of blessing. I, I think it's the supreme need of this generation. People are starving to be blessed. And like many of us, just like Jacob, we're willing just to do about anything to get it. Today is our second message in a series we're calling God in the Chaos, a study in the life of Jacob. It's a six-week series, again, began last week, that will take us right until Palm Sunday. And as I think about Jacob's life, it is not an exaggeration to say that Jacob's greatest ambition in life was to receive his father's blessing. He craved it more than anything else, because he lived for so many years without the smile of his father upon his life. As a result, a deep emptiness filled him. And in the message last week, we saw that Isaac and Rebekah had twin boys. And when we encountered those boys as grown men, Esau had become a hunter, an outdoorsman, who stalked his prey far and wide. Jacob by contrast, was a quiet man who, who liked to stay near his home. But then we were informed of a massive family breakdown apparent in the unmanaged division of love among the parents. You'll recall Genesis chapter 25, verse 28, which says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is a whole world of hurt in that sentence, and the result was a family dynamic dominated by dysfunction. Jacob grew up not only in a home that was fractured, but he was, he was a deeply flawed man himself. There's no cloaking that. And he was completely uncomfortable in his own skin. And we're going to see this morning that Jacob was so out of sync with himself and, and out of sync with his place in the world that he, he dared to put on a disguise pretending to be his brother so that he could get his father's blessing. That text is where I invited you to meet me in your Bibles this morning in Genesis 27. It runs all the way, this story does, to chapter 28. It is a long story with seven scenes. Filled with suspense and drama and intrigue. And by the way, if you have a copy of the Abide, which is our small group curriculum, you pick these up on the tables as you arrive or as you leave. There is also a place for you to record the main characters in each of these seven scenes. Seven scenes, a lot of work to do. 
So let's get right to it. Scene one, a conversation between Isaac and Esau. We read the word of God. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out of the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. The concept of blessing is such a significant theme in the Bible that it is mentioned in the Old Testament alone about 400 times. The Bible opens with God creating and then blessing his creation. God made us so that he could bless us. And then beginning in chapter 12 of Genesis, God chose one man named Abraham through whom he was going to bless the entire world. God said to Abraham, I am going to save the world through your family. And so beginning with Abraham and continuing with every subsequent generation of Abraham's descendants, there would always be one person chosen to carry the messianic seed. That, of course, began with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 26, the blessing of Abraham was passed on to the son of Abraham and Sarah named Isaac. And in chapter 26, verse 2, we're told, And the Lord appeared to him, that is to Isaac, and said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to to Abraham your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The blessing of Abraham now passed to his son Isaac. And then Isaac remarried married Rebekah. And then they had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. So which boy would be chosen to carry on the messianic line? Well, again, in last week's message, we saw that while Rebekah was still pregnant, God in his sovereignty chose Jacob over Esau. And he announced that the older son would serve the younger son. And God's choice of Jacob was the ultimate act. But then we watched how Jacob, ever the opportunist, convinced Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. And and Esau sold it to him without blinking. And then we're told in that very fateful line that Esau despised his birthright. It meant nothing to him. All of the promises of of Abraham that could have been passed on to him, he felt nothing for them. And then there is this perplexing bridge between Genesis chapter 26 with today's story in chapter 27. At the end of chapter 26 in verses 34 and 35, we're told that Esau went on to marry two Canaanite women who shared none of Abraham's heritage and did not know Abraham's God. So with God's choice, the transactional giving up of his birthright to his choice to marry women outside the fold, there were multiple reasons why Esau would not be the bearer of the messianic line. 
Now, with all of that in mind, what in the world is Isaac doing in the opening verses of chapter 27? He conveys to Esau his desire to give him the Abrahamic blessing and total defiance of God's word. And in verse 4, Isaac even literally says, this is the sense of the Hebrew, that my life breath my bless, may, may bless you. He wanted to bless Esau, the son he loved, and he wanted to do so in the most absolute way. And despite the prophetic word that was spoken by God to Rebekah while the boys were still in her womb, Isaac is now prepared to pass the blessing of the messianic line on to God's non-choice to Esau. Isaac's favoritism is on full display. I, I noticed just as a side note, that in this story, Isaac called Esau my son, but he never referred to Jacob in that way. In fact, I find it ironic that the only time Isaac ever called Jacob my son was when he thought he was Esau. I think some of the anguish subsisting just beneath the surface of Jacob's life stemmed from the fact that he never felt his father's affection. But the prophetic word spoken with unqualified clarity to Rebekah during her pregnancy was not assimilated by Isaac. And ultimately, Isaac's problem was that his life was not controlled and governed by the word of God. For many of us, that may, may be our very problem. God has spoken he has made his way and his will very clear, but we're not governed and directed by it. And when God's word is not our final word, then everything becomes relative. When God says in his word, whatever it is that he has made known to us, that is, as we often say, to be the final rule and practice of our life. Our lives are to be conformed to the word of God. It wasn't that way for Isaac. Robert Alter describes Isaac as the man of taste and touch. He is the sensate man. He is driven by his appetites. He is driven by what he can touch and feel and smell. And his inclination was to be guided by his senses. And a fascinating part of the story is how all five senses of Isaac fail him at some point in this story. For instance, we're told that Isaac's eyes here were dim, too bleary to see. So his eyesight has failed him as he has aged. And on the one hand, he's so blind that he can't see that he is actually going to live another 50 years. By the way, I'm grateful to live in the day of corrective lenses. I've been wearing contacts since I was 14, and if... If I didn't have corrective lenses, I think I would have been reduced to beggar status in the ancient world. But Isaac's sight was blurred. But it was no excuse for the blurring of God's will. His heart was just as blind as his eyes. And just as Esau was willing to sell his birthright for some stew, Isaac was willing to bless Esau in exchange for supper. 
And it was all so transactional and all so against God's will that I suppose the apple really didn't fall far from the tree between Isaac and Esau. This whole story is really about how four people within one family manipulated and mishandled the blessing of God throughout. The usual way for a blessing to be pronounced was for it to be a family gathering. Everybody would be called together and and then the blessing would be pronounced upon the firstborn. And all of it was to be said publicly. Every word heard by others. But Isaac was living in defiance of God's word, and everything he did then was covert, secretive. He would bless Esau in secret without telling his wife. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, said, It is generally a bad thing that a man is going to do when he does not tell his wife about it. We run into trouble when we make choices. We are not, therefore, governed by God's word accordingly. Directed by what he says. So Isaac plots. And unsurprisingly, Rebecca, his wife, plots. Scene two. In this scene, we have Rebecca and Jacob. Because unknown to Isaac, Rebecca had heard everything Isaac said to Esau. And as I pick up the account in verse five, would you watch the use of pronouns, among other things? But watch Watch how they speak about one another. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother, Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young, two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. In the moment Jacob or Esau left Isaac's presence, she devises a plan of her own. Rebecca was a remarkable woman in so many respects, but her strength becomes her poison. She's eager, she's energetic, she's enterprising. But out of her favorite love for her son Jacob, she hatches this plot that allows him to gain his father's blessing through subterfuge. So Isaac plots and Rebecca plots. Everybody in this story is plotting the whole time. And we may wonder where Jacob learned his deceptive waves, but but we don't have to wonder for too long. In chapter 25, when... Rebecca was confused by her difficult pregnancy. She inquired of the Lord. That was such a good move for her to make. Now in chapter 27, when she overhears her husband deviating from God's word, rather than inquire of the Lord, she conspires. And she surrendered all the things God values in a person from her character and her honesty and integrity and truthfulness in order to get what she wanted. 
But hadn't God spoken? Rebecca would ask. Wasn't God clear in his word? Did she think then that God was going to allow Isaac to outwit God? Jacob was a little apprehensive about this entire ruse. He thinks through it for a few seconds. And he says, Mom, if you haven't noticed, Esau was like Sasquatch. I mean, he's, he's related to Bigfoot. He's, he's got hair all over his body. And all it will take is, is for my dad to touch my hand or face. And he'll know that I'm not Esau. And he'll know that I'm trying to deceive him. And instead of getting the blessing, I'm going to get a curse. And there's, there's so much irony in the words of Jacob here. Because Jacob's name means trickster, a deceiver, a con artist. And yet he's wondering how to keep his father from knowing who he is. He's like, how can I trick God into thinking I'm not a trickster? But that's who Jacob is. He's not so much concerned about the ethics of the situation as much as he is concerned about getting caught. Rebecca, too, was fully invested in this campaign of deception. She's the mastermind here who was willing to deceive her husband and take the fall if the plot was uncovered. And so Rebecca says to Jacob, you let me worry about that. And it's an amazing thing as you read through this story. Nobody is really trusting the other. Rebecca lived in fear that what God said would not be accomplished without her help. And so what does she do? She leaned unto her own understanding. She did what she thought was wise in her own way. She thought she had it all figured out. And so she she concocts this plot to commit deception. She would be sure that Jacob would get his blessing. God said so. But notice Rebecca's problem. She was afraid that God's word would be thwarted without her help. So we need to be careful too in the same way whenever we say, Lord, step aside and let me take this over. I think I can do this. I I think I can make this happen. Listen, God does not need our crafty help in order for his will to be accomplished. He has spoken and it will be done. Have you been waiting on God for something? He has promised, but what he has promised hasn't yet come to pass. Don't get impatient. Don't light your own fire. Leave room for God to act and don't run ahead of his calendar. Rebecca could not wait for God to do what he said he would do, but there is never a place in any of our lives for doing wrong so that things go right. You cannot do the wrong thing for the right reason. Our calling is to trust God and to leave the outcome in his hands. But Jacob, the compliant one, did what mom said. He slaughtered the goats while she went to work in the kitchen, spinning her culinary skills. Jacob was probably a little old to play dress up. He's anywhere between 45 and 75 at this point. But Rebecca clothes him in his brother's finest so that he smelled like Esau. 
And she took the skins of the goats recently slaughtered, bound them to his hands and neck so that Jacob would feel like Esau. And now Jacob was ready, which takes us to scene three. This is the longest scene in the story. It's between Jacob and and Isaac. Verse 18, we read, so he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Did you notice how quickly the lie rolled off his tongue? How easy it was for Jacob to spin the truth? His act of deceit literally turns him into someone else. He is an actor now. He's a pretender. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found out or found it so quickly, my son? Isaac was surprised at the speed at which Esau could have gone out, lay in wait, killed his prey, skinned it, prepared it, cooked it, and then brought it in. All of that takes tremendous amounts of time. And at least six times in this story, Isaac expresses his suspicion about things, though he could not see Things just didn't seem right. And each time he questions what's going on, he's drawing Jacob even deeper and deeper into his deception. And by Jacob's attempt to deceive his father, this had now become a full-blown charade so that he casually, did you notice, takes the Lord's name in vain. How did you do it so quickly, son? Because the Lord your God granted me success. He said, I'm reminded of something Vance Havner said years ago when I was a little boy sitting in church and this little man who was such a power in the pulpit said, don't blame God for your dirty old sins. Rebecca rationalized her plot because she knew the will of God and Jacob justified his deceit. Because all of his life, he'd been victimized. Isaac is still not convinced. So in verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, well, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Rebecca knew how to cook too. And she cooked up a meal just the way he liked it. And she knew how to dress Jacob up like Esau. But she forgot to give him voice lessons. And Isaac asked again, are you really my son Esau? And when Jacob said, I am, his deception was complete. So Jacob receives the blessing of the firstborn. 
Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. You see how his, his senses are being tricked. See the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you. And nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. It's the Abrahamic blessing. Scene four. Esau and Isaac. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. So Esau returned and he was none too happy. The text reads almost like the two of them could have bumped into one another while Jacob was leaving and Esau was coming. And Esau said, Father, I'm here. And Isaac asked, who are you? And Esau said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And often in Hebrew, for the sake of emphasis, the most important word is put at the end of the sentence. I am Esau, he said. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, why is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? Who was it that did that? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, it's dawned on Isaac what has happened And his whole body begins to shake. He trembled because he realized he'd been tricked. He trembled because he too had been found out. He trembled because he'd been a fool trying to alter God's will. And now Isaac's eyes, so to speak, were opened. Blind Isaac could see exactly what happened. And verse 35, he said, your brother came deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Esau said he wears his name very well. His name is cheater and cheat he does. Once again, you feel pretty bad for Esau, don't you? I mean, he's been outmaneuvered again. And both Isaac and Esau knew that once the blessing was spoken, it was sealed. There was no taking it back. Isaac could not reverse what he had said. The words of blessing were spoken and they were irrevocable. They could not be altered. Such is the power of the one who speaks a blessing. Words of affirmation spoken by a parent shape our lives. So do words of condemnation. 
they too act with power. Parents, mentors, grandparents, your, your words have the power of life and death. When you speak to your kids, when you speak to a friend, when you speak to a loved one, and those moments when things are sacred and what you say matters, carefully choose your words because your, your words have power. Writer Marianne Byrd once penned her own story and she writes, I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. A little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I told them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow, she writes, it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that nobody outside my family could love me. And then she said there was a teacher in the second grade we adored, Mrs. Leonard. And annually, we had a hearing test. And Mrs. Leonard gave the hearing test to everybody in the class. And finally, it was my turn. And I knew from past years, as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper, and we'd have to whisper something back like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? And I waited there for the words. And God must have put those words in her mouth, those seven words that changed my life, she writes. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. The power of words, rightly chosen words at the exact moment can bless. Esau was shattered. He said in verse 36, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him, that is Jacob, lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then his father, Isaac, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless... You shall break his yoke from your neck. Scene five. Rebecca and Jacob. Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And said to himself, the days of my mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. 
By the words of Esau, her older son were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both you and of you both in one day? So Esau's hatred for Jacob is intensified. And he respected his father Isaac so much that while he vowed vengeance against Jacob, he would wait to kill him until his father died. Esau was a skilled marksman, you'll remember. So he tagged a target on Jacob's back. That's enough alone to terrify Jacob. There would be soon two funerals, his mom said. So Rebecca told Jacob about Esau's intentions and told him to flee and stay with my relative Uncle Laban for a few days. But as we read on on in the story, those few days become 20 years. Scene six, mark it, Rebecca and Isaac. Verse 46, then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good, good will my life be to me? Only Rebecca speaks. And she rues the day that Isaac would marry someone like Esau had married. But I ask you to mark it because this is the only time on record in this story that husband and wife speak to each other face to face in this entire sorry saga. And it was way too late. Deception and hurt and brokenness. This family is a mess. Because mom and dad won't talk to one another. Scene seven, Isaac with Jacob. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. A story for another time. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. This was the only time in this story when Isaac spoke to Jacob knowing that he was really Jacob. And the blessing which he spoke Enabled Jacob to be the man he was going to become, which is why you speak a blessing. Because you hold forth God's purposes for that life and what that person can become. Now, God still has a great deal of work to do with Jacob. He's far from where he should be. God has a lot of work to do in him. God has a lot of work to do in us. Why does God choose people like Jacob and us? Well, if we're even mildly self-aware, 
When we ask the question, how could God choose me? The answer is that he loves to intervene in the lives of people who don't deserve it and often don't fully appreciate it until after experiencing it. But here's the deal. If you want to know the blessing of God, you don't have to manipulate to get it. You don't have to pretend to be somebody else. You see, the, the wonder of this, of this story is that all you have to do is bring your sinful, broken self to him. And to sinful and twisted people distorted by sin, you know what God says? He, he whispers to us through his son and says, you're my little girl and you're my little boy. You're my son and you're my daughter. And Jacob was given a blessing, but he had to go away. He had to flee. He had to go off to to Uncle Laban's home, and there he would meet his match. This is really the story of Laban and Jacob, the story of the cheater cheating the cheat, because they are both going at it with one another. And Rebekah never saw Jacob again. When she said, may the curse for all this be upon me, maybe that was it. She never saw Jacob again. She died before he returned. And there were no excuses really for either her or for Jacob. They acted out of pretense and false motives. And as a result, Jacob lives for 20 years as a sojourner away from home. Why? Because there's always a consequence for our actions. Hear me this morning. Every single sin you commit is forgivable. But the consequences of some of them are inevitable. And so it was for Jacob and for Rebekah. God doesn't let Jacob off the hook. And as if a mark against Rebekah, all of her plotting, well, it ended in her burial, which was never mentioned. The only time one of the great matriarchs of Israel was buried and no mention is made of it. I need to close, but I, but I think back to Jacob's disguise. When he covered himself in goatskin, and I can't help but think the reverse happens to us. When the reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the, at the cross is applied to you and me, we are presented to the Father when we believe that what Christ did there, he did for me, that he took my sin, he died in my place, and then I am covered in the garments of Christ. And in the strangest twist of all, we are the ones who are blessed and Jesus is the one who is cursed. Jesus came into this world dressed up like you and me. And that's why we don't need to pretend for a blessing because God doesn't wait until we're good in order to bless us. Jesus absorbed our sins at the cross so that we could inherit the blessings of our Heavenly Father. And he was crucified and he was cursed for us. The ones who take the Lord's name in vain, who pretend to be somebody we're not. And we are so guilty in our same attempts to deceive. We are all complicit. And yet we are the ones who received the blessing of the Father. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God redeems sinful, messed up people like you and me, and that's a good thing, because there are no other kind of people. And now, 
Now we are dressed like Jesus. Now we smell like him. Now we bear his aroma. Jesus giving us his garments so we no longer have to walk with the air of deception. Redemption is a drama. It is the greatest drama of all. It is a drama of a holy collusion where the innocent one was killed in the place of the guilty many. He was cut off so that we might be blessed. And whether or not you ever had a father or a mother, a grandparent, a mentor, or a teacher speak over you words of blessing. And in the midst of all of the hurt that you may bear because of it, know this today. That when you come to Christ broken and flawed, sinful and messed up, and you cry out to him for mercy, he will take your curse upon himself and then dress you in his robes of righteousness. And the Father will bless you. He will bless you with all of the blessings of heaven itself. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, how grateful we are to be in this place at this moment, just so that we together as as a church, as people, can look to the cross And acknowledge that right there, Jesus took our place. Right there, he bore our cross. Cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree, your law says. And Jesus hung for us. The greatest irony of human history, the one who was perfect, took on all of our imperfections, every single one of them. And shed his blood and paid the price for us. And now we put on his garments to cover our hands and our neck, our face, our head, our body, all that we are covered by Christ. Thank you, Father, that in ways we could never have possibly imagined, we have been blessed. And the blessing stays. It cannot be reversed. The blessing remains upon all who turn to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, make me yours. Take all that you are and impart it to me. And if you've never prayed that simple prayer, I want to invite you right now in this moment to say it to him. Lord Jesus, all that you are and all that you have done, give to me now. I don't deserve it, but I need it. Lord Jesus, save me. And thank you for the blessing of my heavenly Father that remains 
And it is in the holy name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let me invite you to